next one. And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Do you see, here's what's going on. Unbelief asks the right questions, but it just refuses to take the next step and arrive at the logical conclusion that the question itself demands. So here they are. Unbelief defying logical explanation. Now let me give you three implications here of what it does. I think we can see it in this passage. Number one, unbelief closes one's mind. You know any closed-minded folk? I mean, that's something that's commonly, people are commonly accused of, being closed-minded. Well, what comes first? Does unbelief come first or does closed-mindedness come first? Come first. I'd like to make a case saying that unbelief comes first. Because here's what they were doing. They were looking around and they were seeing the evidence, but their mind was closed as to who they had already determined Jesus to be. You see, the Jesus that they thought He was and the Jesus that He actually is were two different people. And the evidence points to Him being somebody other than who they thought He was, but they had rather hold on to their pre-drawn conclusions than to let the evidence point them to the logical conclusion. So, closed-mindedness. These folk just refused to have their minds opened by the evidence that was put before them. So, what is one of the effects of disbelief or unbelief? And it's the fact that it closes your mind. Lock you down. Notice what else I think this passage teaches us. Not only does disbelief close your mind, but disbelief is self-condemning. It's self-condemning. Now, notice what it is that these folks said. They said, wait a minute. He is one of us. They knew him from when he worked there in his father's carpenter shop. They knew that he was basically a blue-collar construction worker. And they basically are saying he can't be doing all of this because he's one of us. So here's what they were saying. They were saying about themselves, Nazareth and the people of Nazareth are not good enough to have produced this type of person. I mean, isn't that what they're saying? We know him. He's one of us. And you can't be from here and have that kind of wisdom. Let me take you to John chapter 1. Because here was the deal with Nazareth. Nazareth was not a real popular place in the day of Jesus. Probably only about 200 residents there. And they had a pretty poor reputation. Do you remember what Nathaniel said when Philip in John chapter 1 come told him that we have found the Messiah? Yeah. Jesus of Nazareth? What did Nathaniel say immediately? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So these folk had a reputation. And by asking these questions, what they were saying in a veiled way is there's no way that he can be one of us because we can't produce folk like that in Nazareth. Wow. You know, here's what they did. You remember that, that, that group that Paul, uh, Paul said, you have deemed yourself unworthy of 
And basically, that's what Nazareth had done. That's what unbelief does. Unbelief says more about the person who disbelieves than about the subject which they are refusing. And what it says is that I am unworthy of this. So, what does unbelief do? Well, it's kind of self-condemning. It'll close your mind, but it's also self-condemning. Now, notice something else here. It defies logical explanation. Closes your mind. Self-condemning. But now, here's the real kicker. Even Jesus cannot explain it. Or even Jesus cannot understand it. Check out this word right here in... Uh, Verse number 6. The Bible says he wondered. Some translations, some versions say he marveled. And the word behind that is, 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 is so, it's only used of Jesus twice in the Gospels. One time he marveled at this centurion who had faith and Jesus said, I'm not found this type of faith anywhere in Israel. And it was an old Roman centurion. And it was when that centurion came up to him and said, Hey, I need you, to, need you to, to, to do something for me. My servant is sick and at the point of death at the house. And Jesus said, Well, let's go. The centurion says, Oh, you don't have to go to my house. Just speak the word and it'll be done. Because that man understood authority. He said, I'm under authority. Just like you are under authority. I say to this one, do that, and he does it because I'm under authority. He recognized Jesus to be under the authority of the Father. So he said, just speak the word, it'll be done. And Jesus marveled. And that word is a worship word. To marvel. It means to look at something with your bottom jaw gaping open. Hey, you can see this a lot in children. Have you ever watched a toddler, two or three years old, walk around in a diaper, barefooted, no shirt? And they're walking around in the yard and just anything they see just mystifies them. And they'll just have to stop, squat down and look at it and poke it. I mean, they see a cricket mole in the yard. And it's like, what in the world? And they just, that's the word here. He, he marveled, he wondered. It boggled his mind. Listen to me. One thing that Jesus cannot understand is unbelief. Unbelief. And here's what I hear a lot of times. Here's what I've been guilty of saying a lot of times. I won't want to do something and I'll give some cockamamie reason why I shouldn't be doing it. And I'll say, well, I think Jesus understands. Listen to me. No, He does not. He scratches His head and He marvels at unbelief. He cannot understand unbelief at all. So any action that we have that flows from unbelief, hear me and hear me well, the Lord does not understand it. So if saying to yourself, I think the Lord understands, kind of pacifies your emotion, you may want to do something else with that emotion. Because it's possible to be comforted right up till you walk off into hell. You know what I'm saying? So no, unbelief is something that Jesus does not and cannot and will not understand. He has no point of reference. He has no framework because He's never acted or never had unbelief within Him. Check it out. Not only does disbelief defy logical explanation, but this passage also tells us that disbelief always detracts from the main message. It always does. 
Have you ever noticed that about folk? I mean, notice what these guys, Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he was teaching. Are you with me? Now look at this. We've been in Mark for a while now. We've come across this word more than once. Look at what the Bible says. He began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were, what's that word? Astonished. Okay, here's your pop quiz for today. What Greek word do you think is behind that and what do you think the meaning is? Somebody shout it out with confidence. Thank you, Evan. They were struck. They were struck. I mean, he taught the word in such a way till it intersected their lives. We have the eternal truth of God intersecting the timeline of their life. Logos was turning into Ramah. It was striking them and causing them to say, Whoa! Son, he was preaching the message. Are you with me? He wasn't going down a side street. He was accurately handling the Word of God to the point where they were struck with the Word. I mean, we've been down this path a hundred times as we've talked about the, the necessity of biblical preaching and what it should do to us. We should be struck if God's Word's being preached because it'll do just the same for us. The eternal truth of God's Word will come home to where you are and it will intersect the timeline of your life and it's almost as if God wrote this yesterday for what I'd be facing today. And it kind of blows you away to think of it that way when it happens to you. So here they were. They were struck with God's Word. And rather than dealing with what God's Word was saying to them in their hearts, rather than dealing with the issues, because that's what God's Word does when it strikes us, Rather than dealing with our own issues, they turned it around in order to get their minds off the main message and they came up with these sideline questions to distract their attention of what the Spirit of God was doing in their hearts. You know anybody like that? Yeah. Yeah, me, huh? <laughs> That's a tactic we all use, is it not? Yes. We don't have to look at anybody else. We all do that. So look at how they distracted attention. They began to come up with these questions about where did he get this? Who gave him this wisdom? How is he doing these miracles? Hey, that's exactly what unbelief does. Let me give you a few times. Here's what folk do sometimes. Man, you can have them just cornered with the gospel. And I've heard this question so much, so much, so much. It's a worn out, exhausted argument that unbelief hides behind. I mean, you pick up the molded leaf under which the cockroach of unbelief lives. And here's the question. Well, I just don't know if I can believe that because what about the poor little native living in a village in Africa wearing a grass skirt and a bone through his nose never even heard of Jesus? Where's he going to go when he dies? And you know what I've started answering that question with? Look, come back to the middle of the road. I don't know about the native in the unreached village in Africa, but I know about you. And you've heard. And you're going to go to hell unless you repent. I mean, ain't that right? Have you ever had folk try to do that? Try to throw you off the track by coming up with these crazy questions like that? That's what unbelief naturally does. It always tries to distract attention from the main message. Amen. Focus, Stephen. Like we talked about this morning. Stay focused. Stay with me. 
No sacristies. No crazy questions. Let's deal with what God's Word is striking us with. Try it rather than trying to hit the eject button by distracting attention. Now, check it out. Not only does this belief distract from the main, me from the main message, but this belief also always attempts to discredit the messenger. Now, here's another what they did here. If we can't disprove his teaching because it's striking us, then let's take a shot at him and see if we can uh, tear his character down a little bit so we don't have to listen to his message. It's the logical fallacy and philosophy that's known as, as, as ad hominem abusive. It means if somebody's preaching the truth, let's try to get a smudge on his character. That way we can disprove his message. Well, the logical fallacy is that, that, that truth is dependent upon its source. And it is not, hear me, truth stands on its own two feet. If truth depended upon its source, watch me, then I can't preach it. Because I'll turn it into a lie. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm just as wicked as anybody else. None of us are perfect. I'm grateful to God to know that God can hit a, a straight ball with a crooked stick. He can. I mean, God has even spoke truth through a jackass before, has He not? Have you ever read that story in the Bible? Truth is independent of the source. But now here it should have been doubly validated because Jesus not only is his message the truth, but he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. But that's what folks try to do. You know, if they don't want to believe the message, then let's just discredit the messenger to the point to we don't have to believe a thing that he says. I mean, that's just the way it's always worked. That's why Jesus said the tactic of the devil is, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. So notice how they tried to discredit Jesus. Check this out here. Notice what they notice what they did in verse number three. Is not this the carpenter? Again, they they knew him. They watched him grow up. The evidence of his sinless life should have said something to him, to them. But no, all they think about is, hey, all he is is a blue collar construction worker. The word there is in Greek means he's a he's a technician. And he's just a, an old blue-collar country boy carpenter. We don't have to listen to what it is he says. He's not a philosopher, he's not a rabbi, he's not a doctor of the law. So they attempted to discredit him by pointing out that this is not his profession. Notice what else they said. Is not this the son of Mary? Now you know what they're trying to do right here? Notice. The son of Mary. More than likely, this is an underhanded cut saying, you're nothing more than the illegitimate child of Mary. You see that? Joseph is not brought into it. It's just the son of Mary. So it really is a cut at Jesus. Now how would you like to be teaching somewhere and the folks say, well all you are is an illegitimate bastard. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I didn't cuss there. That's the King James uses that word, does it not? That's what it means when somebody's born out of wedlock. Uh, whether we like that word or not, that's, that's what it is. And that's what they did to the Lord by saying that. And then they said, look here, 
They said, look, here's his brothers and here's his sisters. And you know why they were bringing them into the courtroom as evidence against Jesus? Because at this time, even his brothers and sisters didn't believe. So here they're trying to discredit the messenger. You know anybody does that today? Hey, let, let one preacher fall. And all of a sudden, every one of us are guilty. And all of a sudden, the lost world begins to use that as their justification for why they don't believe the gospel. Because the messenger has been discredited. Man, I will tell you, hey, listen to me, Grace Church. Don't put your faith in me. I'll let you down. You believe the book regardless. Because the book, the message can never be discredited. It never has been. Oh, there's been attempts from thousands of years to eradicate this book from the planet. And it just cannot happen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands how long? Forever. So, disbelief distracts from the main message. Disbelief attempts to discredit the messenger. Notice what else disbelief does. Disbelief or unbelief, we could say, deprives of seeing miracles. Seeing miracles. And check this out. Look what, look what the scripture says in verse number five. He could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. A couple things going on here. They've done refer to all the miracles that he performed. In Mark's record alone, there's already been ten miracle statements recorded. And they culminated with the healing of the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and also the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. So we have eight explicit miracles in Mark's gospel up to now and then two general statements that say, and he also performed many other miracles. You see, John's gospel tells us that if everything he did were recorded, even the world wouldn't be big enough to hold all the books. So this old boy was dropping some miracle bombs everywhere he went. You know what I'm saying? He was. But now notice what happens here when he gets to his hometown. His hometown, by the way, this is the second time recorded in the Gospels that he goes back to his hometown. And here he gets to his hometown... And the Bible says, look in verse 5, let this fall on your heart. He could not do, or he could do, no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Two things I think the scripture tells us. Number one, he could not do as many as he wanted. Isn't that strange? Because look what the scripture says. The scripture said he just laid his hands on a few. There's your operative word, on a few. Tells me that the intentions of Jesus, had he found faith in Nazareth, may have been to show out like only God can do in front of the home team. And he got down there and all he got was castigated. All he got was discredited. All he got was accusations. And the Bible says that he could do no miracle there. 
Do you see how unbelief deprives folk of seeing miracles? Hey, listen to me, Grace Church. We can come in here and let unbelief close our minds. We can come in here and refuse to open our hearts to the truth of God's Word. We can come in here and try to be distracted from the message and discredit the messenger. And here's one thing I can promise you, you won't see God do a thing. just the way it is. Now look, this is not a statement that decries or diminishes from His deity or omnipotence at all. Notice the miracles He's done so far. Most of them, He says something like this, Daughter, go into peace because your faith has made you well. Do you see that? Hear me. The Bible's very clear. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Here he was in his hometown, and he found no belief, only unbelief. And because of it, those people were deprived. Think what he could have done. Think what he probably preferred to do, as opposed to what he did. The Bible says his miracles, they were not as many as he wanted. But number two, look what it says. They were not as mighty as he wanted. Isn't it amazing that, that, that the Bible kind of prioritizes miracles based on, I don't know, well, how, how, if you God, how do you prioritize a miracle? The, the danger of difficulty? I mean, the, 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 the level of difficulty like a gymnast competition? Absolutely not. Because it is just as easy for God to speak and another universe burst into existence as it is for Him to rattle a leaf on an oak tree outside our building today. There is nothing that hard and harder and hardest doesn't exist with God. Can I get on a stop for a minute? Uh, Heather's up here about to crawl under a chair because anytime I say that, she knows something's coming. We may not all post this today because I'm about to talk about something that's, that hurt my heart three weeks ago. Three Sundays back, it's still up today if you don't believe. Drive by. I don't even know what kind of church it is other than a stupid one. <laughs> They've got a marquee out in front that says this. The only thing God cannot change is your will. That hurts my heart. That's heresy. Heresy. Son, if God can't change my will, then I'm unsavable. Do you know what I'm saying? If God can't change my will, then He's not God. I am. Huh? That hurt my heart to the point when I drove by it the other day, it almost brought tears to my eyes. And instead of coming and getting on my theological horse with John Wilson about the heresy of church signs as we normally do, I came and couldn't even say anything because I still broke up when I got to church. My goodness, what kind of God is that? I want to tell you, my God has never stood before anybody and said, well, I can't do anything unless you give me the right to. Will you please just invite me into your heart? He never did that. I'm telling you, He walks in and takes control of what He wants to take control of. He saves who He wants to save, when He wants to save them, how He wants to save them. He is not bound by the will of mankind. He's not. He's God. Now, how do 
you explain all of that with faith? Well, you explain it by the fact that somehow or another, in all the operation of this, faith comes by hearing yes. and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I can't get any deeper than that with you, but I'm telling you that when we hear God's Word, That's as right. these people saw down there, and they were struck with it, it ought to inspire faith yes. within our hearts. When we have faith, what God does is limitless. Grace Church, I don't know about you, but I've been doing this now for about 31 years. And I have no intentions of, of doing church just for the social aspects of it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you take the miraculous element out of a church, and we're not a church, we're just a social club. You take the miraculous element out of it, and all we are is a book club. I don't have any intentions of being part of that. Do you? Man, I, I hope that when Jesus shows up at Grace Church, that He's free to be Himself. And He can do whatever He wants to, whenever He wants to, however He wants to. Are you with me? Yes. yes. Alright, here we go. Notice what else. Now, I'm sorry, I'm getting down off my stump for a little while. <laughs> That's just crazy stuff. Just crazy stuff. Here we go. Disbelief deprives of seeing miracles and finally, Disbelief is in danger of causing Jesus to move. Notice what Jesus did after that. The Bible says after he wondered at their own belief, he was going around the villages teaching. And guess what? The first time he went to Nazareth, it's recorded in Luke 4. Yep. Oh, he got a warm welcome there. <laughs> he was teaching in the synagogue. They want to pick him up and go throw him off the precipice of the hill. They was about to kill him. That's right. So he thinks, well, maybe I'll give him another chance. Isn't that pretty cool? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't write you off the first time? Yeah. <laughs> My Lord. So he goes back to his hometown and gives them another chance. And this time, look what they did to him. But guess what? He don't go back anymore. You can't keep shunning him and shunning him and shunning him and expect him to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. If you want to live in unbelief, He's obliged to let you do that. And here the Bible reports that he went to other villages and was teaching. Never recorded again in any of the Gospels that he ever went back to Nazareth again. Hey, unbelief creates a very particular danger. And make no mistake about it. God is looking for some folk. He is, what's the Bible say? He's seeking those. God is the one doing the seeking. He is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. And get this, Grace Church. We can say no, but He's not going to be without worshipers. That's right. He'll just go somewhere else and do it. Hey, I don't know about you, but I just sue Him do whatever He wants to do right here in Bonifay, huh? Yeah. I mean, Lord, there ain't no need to go to the food yak. That's 100 miles down the road. <laughs> Just stay right here with us in Bonifay. And here's how we get him to stay here. Believe. Keep on believing. Keep on being struck by his word rather than being distracted, rather than trying to discredit, rather than, yeah. rather than 
being deprived of seeing miracles. Embrace what He's doing with faith. Believe His Word. Repent of our unbelief so that He can fill this place with His Shekinah glory. Hey man, that's what I'm after. I don't know about you. Remember what the old guy said? Lord, I believe. Yeah. Help my unbelief. Yeah. I've got it. And boy, I don't want it to deprive me. I don't want it to be a stumbling block. I don't want it to cause Jesus to have to go somewhere else. God, I believe. Help our unbelief. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word has the power to strike us.